0: Well, welcome this weekend. Good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us right now from uh, one of the off-site campuses, or on the internet, or wherever you might happen to be. Maybe you're listening to a podcast. I'm glad that you're along. Also, love this time of the year. I've said it before; it's my favorite time of the year. Uh, everybody's busy. You guys busy enough? You know, you got parties. You got shopping glad you came to church. That's awesome. It's busy, but it's a good busy. You know, it's kind of like anticipation of uh, just a neat thing. The entire world stops for uh, just a little while in December and focuses on the love of God. And I love that, love the music. Speaking of the music, did you hear the one about a liquor store owner, a Jewish composer, and a Unitarian minister who walked into a bar one day? and wrote one of the most popular Christmas carols ever. Did you hear that one? No. Neither did I. It wasn't a bar, okay? And they weren't all together, but they did write a Christmas carol, and that happened to be the most popular one that uh, Seacoast kind of voted on, the carols that we're going to use during this series. And this one was number one, and it's one of the most popular ones uh, in everybody's mind. But let me tell you the story, kind of the story behind how it was written. Uh, Just before leaving for a business trip to Paris in December of 1847, a wine merchant in a small, obscure village in the south of France was asked by his parish priest to write a Christmas poem that was to be used in their uh, Christmas Eve Mass that year. Um, When he wasn't... uh, selling liquor at his store. He was kind of a part-time poet. And so he told the priest that, yeah, I'd kind of like to take a swing at that. And so uh, he got into a carriage and he began the trip to Paris, which was 425 miles. About halfway there, he got the inspiration to write the poem that he later titled, Minuet Création." When he arrived in Paris, he was so excited about the poem, he, he thought, this really is profound, that he looked up uh, a composer who would write some music to it, and uh, uh, it was a friend of a friend, and it actually was a very popular composer of the time, and so the composer sat down and he wrote the, wrote the music, and three weeks later the song was first sung at the Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve in 1847 at the little church in his hometown, was beautiful. Right away the people loved the song. It kind of went viral back in the day before the internet and people were singing it all over France and pretty soon the leaders started to see something they didn't like and so the church leaders in France actually ultimately banned the song. Not because of the beauty of the song or even the purity of its lyrics, but it was because of the reputation of the lyricist and the composer. See, Placide Capot, who was the writer, not only owned a liquor store, but he didn't even go to church much. In fact, when the priest asked him to write the poem, it was kind of to draw him in. He was what we call a CEO Christian, Christmas and Easter only. Okay, So, so he wasn't that involved in the church. And, and he wrote the poem. And when he got to Paris, the guy that he asked to write the music to us wasn't even a Christian he was Jewish and he wrote uh, his name was Adolphe Adam and uh, the music that he wrote was mostly the equivalent of kind of light pop music that's kind of how he made his money think uh, Michael Buble or Josh Groban or even Justin Bieber and so the the leaders of the church uh, said that stuff is not that's not appropriate for the church And so uh, one French bishop even denounced the song for its lack of musical taste and total absence of the spirit of religion. Have you know that the total absence of the spirit of religion is probably not a bad thing? Now, fortunately, more rational perspectives prevailed. And by 1855, the carol uh, was uh, uh, published in London and was translated into several different languages, including English. The best-known English translation was authored by a man named John Sullivan Dwight, who was a Unitarian minister, although he didn't really practice in a church. He was just educated as such. Mostly what he did was to write, and he was a music critic, and he lived in a transcendentalist commune near Boston. Now, this is not exactly conservative Christianity. Think New Age, okay? That's kind of what that was about. Now, the literal translation, this is the guy that translated it uh, into English here uh, in the United States. The literal English translation of this song was as follows. Midnight Christians, it is the solemn hour when God-man descended to us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of his father. The entire world thrills with hope on this night that gives it a Savior. People kneel down, wait for your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Have you ever sung that song? Maybe you might recognize Dwight's translation. It sounds a little bit more like this. I Now I was going to sing that myself. <laughs> that is an incredible song, isn't it? I think it. I think it may be my favorite of the Christmas season. This series is kind of fun because what we're doing is we're calling it Christmas playlist, and uh, we asked you guys to uh, go on the city and vote what your favorite songs. And we're, we we took the top uh, four for this Christmas season. And we're kind of going behind the story, how the songs were written, and what we can learn about God, about the character of God, and maybe some new things about the Christmas season. And so uh, this weekend I want to talk about what we can learn about God from O Holy Night. I've picked about three things that I thought uh, could be lessons uh, for all of us uh, here in how God works among us. The first thing is this, as we think about O Holy Night, God often chooses unlikely people to accomplish His will. Would you agree with that? Okay, so, so let me ask you a question. So so if you're God and you want a song written that will be sung by millions of Christians to tell your story, who do you choose? Okay, I, I, I don't know if you heard in that song, but in the first verse is probably um, the most incredible view of Christ's birth from like a heavenly perspective. You know, the, the, the birth that brought a new and glorious morn to everyone. And in the first verse, the, the author writes j- just this spectacular view of God coming to earth. And so, and so God's choosing somebody to write arguably maybe the most sung song of the Christmas season. So, so who do you choose? A liquor store owner who barely comes to church and a Jewish composer who doesn't even believe the story? That's who you choose, right? That's about right with God. (laughs) God often chooses unlikely people to accomplish His will. We, We don't have to look any further than the Christmas story. See, when God was looking for people to be the earth parents of His Son, to be the caretakers of the God of the universe, the one who would redeem man, who does He choose? An unmarried couple. And she's 14 years old and doesn't, you know, really have an understanding of life. And her uh, boyfriend, her fiancé, is this common laborer. And he's struggling with all kinds of things, uh, with, with this whole story and with what's going on. They live in a small village in the Middle East. Is that who you would choose? God often chooses unlikely people to accomplish his will so so let's go further with jesus story okay so so jesus grows up and he takes up his ministry and it is the custom of the day it's how they did it is that you would have rabbis and the rabbis would choose people to uh, be to to be followers i mean it wasn't just like an all call you know anybody that wants to come come no the close followers were always carefully chosen carefully picked and they were from among the best and the brightest, and, and the greater the rabbi, you know, the higher the resumes that were there. And he would he would he would recruit them and he would he would choose them. And so who did Jesus choose to be the leaders that would carry on his message? Fishermen, right? No brainer. That's what you go look for. You go look for fishermen. No, if he would have done it in the traditional way, he would have looked through the Pharisees of the day. Those were the ones trained. Okay? These are the ones that the rabbis grabbed and said, they've been through the schools. They're the best and the brightest. And and Jesus, guys, I mean, there, there were not rabbis lined up outside their door to choose them. And Jesus chose them because God often chooses unlikely people to accomplish His will. Okay, how about you? How about you? Would, you? would you put yourself in like, yeah, I'm the likely category that God would have chosen. Or, or would you be in the unlikely category? Were you an obvious choice? I, I've struggled with that in my own life for a long time. I've told you guys about it. You know, leading this great church. And I love Seacoast Church. I love being your pastor. But every once in a while I wake up and I go, you know, the leader of a, of a church like this ought to have a doctorate de- degree in theology. And I don't. A leader of a church like this should probably be an extrovert. And I'm not exactly the life of the party, okay? I like people, but just not a lot in large doses. <laughs> a leader of a church like this would be someone who excels at loves public speaking. Now, I've gotten better at it, but I've told you it just scares me to death every time I get up. A leader of a church like this would be tall and good-looking. Well, those of you at the campuses, I'm not as tall as I look. As far as the good-looking thing, we'll kind of leave that to you. A leader of a church like this would spell out the word Christmas in all of his texts. And sometimes he doesn't. So that's supposed to be funny. I thought it was funny. A little controversy on the city this week. But anyway... God often uses unlikely people to accomplish His will. And why is that? Why does He do it? You know, the Bible is real clear about why He does it. It's, it's so funny. It, it lays it out. There, there's basically two reasons. And the first one is to show up all the smarty pants in the world. Okay? That's why He does it. You don't believe me? Look at the Scripture on your outline verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, now here's what he's doing. He's talking to the church, Corinthian church, and if he was here today, he would say, listen, sea coasters. Brothers and sisters, I want to listen to you. I want to tell you something about yourself. Look what he says. Few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately, circle the world. word deliberately, will you do that? God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish. Guess what those things are? That would be you. Okay, that would be you. It says, God deliberately chose things that were foolish in order to shame those, these are the smarty pants, who think they are wise. And He chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. It's like God is saying this. You think you're smart? Watch this. I'm going to take the least likely people that you would choose on earth and I'm going to make them parents to my son. And then I'm going to have him grow up and choose people you wouldn't choose to change the world. And then I'm going to have him die on a cross in apparent defeat and I'm going to turn that defeat into the greatest victory that the world has ever known. And one more thing. I'm going to choose a liquor store owner and a non-Christian to write a song about how the whole thing started. (laughs) Top that if you can. So God chooses unlikely people to show up those who think they're wise. And here's the second thing. This is so good. He chooses unlikely people to make sure that when something good happens that the wrong one doesn't get the credit. The next verse in verse 28 says this, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and He used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. It's genius. When God takes people that nobody else believes in and He does things through them, uses them, to do things that no one else could do, when He does the impossible through ordinary people, like the people in this story, like the people in this room, like the people wherever you, you are, when God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, then nobody can boast about it. Because you say, I, can't, I couldn't do that on my own. I, there's no, have you, have you ever had that experience in your life? When you did something, said something, something happened and you went, you know, I just got to tell you, there's no way I could have done that. That's where life gets exciting. And God does it and He says, you know what? The reason is, is because, is because I, I want, I want the glory. God deserves the glory. See, He gives all of us gifts, but they're His gifts. And when we do something right, God gets the glory. Now, God uses unusual people to accomplish the will of God. But here's the truth: we all know that um, that every unusual person does not accomplish the will of God. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know anybody who's unusual that doesn't accomplish the will of God? Sure. Why not? The Bible says there are many are called. Many are called. Few are chosen. So as I, so as I was thinking about that in this story, why, why is it that some people? who are just normal everyday people, Um, God works in them and we see God doing like the extraordinary and other people, nothing really ever happens. Or maybe they have the same opportunities, see two people having the same opportunities, one excels and the other doesn't. Even in this story, what is the common denominator? It could be a number of things, but here's what I thought. I thought it's this, wrapped up in this, there is a willingness to move forward in spite of doubts. A willingness to move forward in spite of doubts. I I think about the lyricist and the composer. probably, probably, Uh, When the priest came to the lyricist and said, I'd like you to write a poem that we're going to sing together at our Christmas Eve service, he probably, if he's anything like me, would have said, "Uh, why me? I mean, I'm not the faithful guy here. You know, I I show up very seldom. People in town kind of know my reputation maybe you got the wrong guy there were probably some doubts and then when he moved forward in spite of his doubts and he went and he found a composer and the composer is to write these words and the composer doesn't even believe it that's not his line of faith i would imagine there was some doubt with him but he moved forward in spite of his doubts mary and joseph their doubts are well-documented The angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, Mary, this is going to happen. The Spirit of God is upon you and the child of God has been conceived within you. You are going to give birth to the Messiah, to the one that your people has waited for. And what does she say? How can this be? How can this be? She's got some questions. And with a good spirit and a good attitude, but she has questions. And then then the angel comes to Joseph and says, when Joseph is struggling with this whole deal, I mean, should I put her away or what? No, go through with this. God is in it. He has doubts. Does he stop? No, he moves forward in spite of his doubts. The disciples who followed Jesus needed constant confirmation that Jesus was who he said he was. I mean, they'd see little flashes of, wow, he'd heal somebody. He's the Messiah. Maybe he's the one or maybe he's not. I don't know. I'm not sure. And a Constant confirmation and encouragement along those lines. But they didn't stop. There were probably some who did. We know that there were who quit following Jesus. But they moved ahead in spite of their doubts. So what about you? What about you? Is there something that God seems to be calling you to, but doubts are keeping you from moving ahead. Is there? Let me just meddle there just for a minute. It may be this whole thing of of uh, kind of putting putting everything to the middle of the table and going all in for God, becoming a an all in Christ follower. Uh, maybe um, maybe you've never done that before. Maybe maybe you're here. Uh, this weekend, uh, and maybe a friend invited you. It might be your first time, or it could be, you know, you, you've been coming for a, a little while, or maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe it's your spouse that kind of is is further into this deal, and, and you're kind of along, and you're supportive, but you're not really there. You hear people talking about a relationship with God, and you really don't sense that or feel that in your own life. And uh, what you don't know is that God has drawn you in this place, and God has sprinkled all kinds of circumstances in your life to to draw you to Him because He loves you and He cares about you and He's initiating this, but you've got to go, you know, I'm going to go all in. But you've got doubts. There's some parts of the God story that you don't understand. You don't understand why some circumstances have happened in your life or you don't, you don't understand certain parts of the Bible or, or how God, how could God act in that particular way even in the world today if He's a good God and you've got all of these things going through your mind and, and, and God wants to take you who is ordinary and He wants to work the extraordinary through you but you are, you're hesitant to go all in because of some doubts. Or it could be that you're, you know, you're a Christ follower and, and you would say, you know, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I have ups and downs and stuff, but I've put it all in. But maybe it's taking the next step for you in whatever the ministry that God's called you to. God's called us all to ministry, you know. Maybe it's the next step of leadership or you know, maybe it's leading something with your family or maybe it's to step up and lead a missional community or a small group of people who are, you know, going to move together or maybe it's leading something at work. I I don't know what it is. But God's dealing with you in some area, but you've got doubts. And it might be doubts about yourself, your abilities. It might be doubts about God, but it's blocking you and it's stopping you from allowing the extraordinary God to move through an ordinary person like you. Maybe you feel like you're unworthy to do that. There are so many people around you that are better suited. Why doesn't God, you call them to, step up into a leadership role. Or maybe it's surrendering your dreams to Him, your future. Maybe it's your finances. You know, we talked about that for a whole series and something tugged and pulled at you, but you have doubts. You have doubts and and, and some fears and, and it just keeps you from going all in and just surrendering everything to God. Well, here's what I know. Here's what I know. You're probably an unlikely candidate for God to use. But if you will move ahead in spite of your doubts... God will begin to do the miraculous through you because that's kind of the second lesson that I wanted to learn from this is that you can't tell the Christmas story without including a miracle. You just can't tell the Christmas story without including a miracle. Christianity isn't Christianity without the miraculous. I mean it begins with a virgin birth. I mean there's nothing more miraculous than that, a virgin birth. It's a miracle. The healings and miracles of Jesus are spread throughout His ministry. You can't deny that that was the thing that drew the crowds. It was the miracles. The story includes a miraculous resurrection from the dead. And we who are here are awaiting the conclusion of the story with a miraculous return of the conquering King. You just can't tell the Christmas story without including a miracle. And here's what's interesting. You probably didn't know this. A few years after this song was written, the song itself would be seen as sort of a a miracle. On Christmas Eve in 1906, a 33-year-old professor named Reginald Fessenden did something that most of the world thought was impossible. He was uh, using a new type of generator, and the professor who had worked earlier with Thomas Edison spoke into a microphone on Christmas Eve, 1906, And for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. It shocked operators in ships and wireless uh, operators at newspaper offices all across America. In fact, they jumped up in in, in amazement. The story goes that someone went and got people who were in the place where they were, come listen to this. It was was miraculous because they were used to hearing coded beeps, you know, uh, Morse code kind kind of things, and they'd take it down. And for the first time in history, all of a sudden, they hear a clear, deep voice speaking these words. And it came to pass, in those days, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And Joseph also went up to Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And then he went on to read the entire chapter from Luke. He had no idea the uproar that he was causing. He's in this little room doing an experiment, speaking into a microphone, but when the, profe- the people everywhere were rushing to their wireless units to hear what many thought was a Christmas miracle. Some thought they were hearing the voice of an angel, a man's voice reading the Christmas story for the first time on Christmas Eve. And then when the professor was done reading, he picked up his violin and he played a beautiful Christmas melody. On Christmas Eve, oh Holy Night, became the first song ever played on the radio. First song ever played on the radio. And from that moment on, people everywhere would have a new way of listening to music. You just can't tell the Christmas story without including a miracle. Okay, so let me ask you this. How open are you to the miraculous this Christmas? Personally, personally. How open are you? Now, what is a miracle? Let's define that. Just in the most simple way, a miracle is when heaven intersects with earth, when 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 God intersects, when when God does something that intersects with our daily life, something's changed. That's a miracle. When God interrupts the ordinary with the extraordinary, miracles can take on many forms. God can interrupt an ordinary life and give extraordinary new life. And that's happened to most of us here. We, we were going in one direction, you remember? You were, you were walking, you were kind of doing your own thing, going your own direction, um, often aimless. Sometimes we were troubled and God intervened. There was a crisis or there was a difficult time a lot of times, or, or maybe there was just kind of this epiphany, this revelation and that we needed God. And And our lives were changed and a relationship to the God of the universe transformed us. In fact, the second verse of the song talks about that miracle. It says, The king of kings lay thus in a lowly manger in all of our trials, born to be our friend. And and that's what God did. He, He was born so that God would become man, that he would become our friend. God can interrupt our ordinary life unexpectedly with the extraordinary you ever had a miracle like that Have you ever had a check in the mail that you just it was like whoa! Well, I, I wasn't expecting that after the series that we just did on finances many of you decided to honor god and to test him in generosity and i have heard so many stories it, it's so so fun to be me right now it really is to hear the stories you know, people go. This happened here. Right? I mean, the, the, unexpectedly, you know, we got a check and we gave and got a check, and it was just, just just incredible. Not that that happens all the time, but God does that. One story from our Manning campus. Uh, you guys kind of know the story from Manning, but uh, the pastor at Manning is he's a little bit crazy. I'm just going to be honest with you. He 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 uh, is a guy that trusts God, and so during that series, they decided. That they were going to give their entire offering, the entire offering, uh, that week, he told the church, we're going to give the entire offering away. We're going to give it to the community. Everything that comes on in, we're just going to, and they have a budget that they have to meet and all this kind of thing, but we're just going to give the whole thing away. And wouldn't you know it, it was the second biggest offering of the year, which tested his resolve just a little bit as they were counting. God, do we really want to give this away? And so they went ahead and they gave it away. Two days later, someone gave the church a house. Can you imagine that? And then the next Sunday, they had the largest offering ever in the church. In fact, it was two months' worth of tithes that they would normally get. They were just buzzing about that whole thing—just a miracle, a miracle. You know, or or maybe it's an unexpected phone call that you get. Or, or maybe it 's a, a, a kind of a chill bump inducing moment you know when, uh, when you see a sunrise or a sunset or whatever and, and it 's just a god it 's a, a God moment now you can try to explain those things away in a rational way, but why would you want to do that? Why not just include God in Christmas? Why not assume that God can interrupt our ordinary life in an extraordinary way and you know what 's exciting is when he does it. Our life with an extraordinary gift for someone else—that's when it gets fun. I mean, for God to invade our lives, for you know, to to do something incredible in us, that's good. But when He does it through us to someone else, you can be minding your own business. This happens to me, and you get a hunch from God: I want you to do something. I I want you to go encourage that guy over there. I want you to—I want you to uh, write write an email to somebody who hadn't written one in a long time. Or I want you to send a text and just encourage someone. Or when he says, I want you to give something away. Have you ever had that happen? I, I've told you guys this story before, and I won't belabor it, but it was, this was just before Easter one time. Debbie and I were really, really poor. I mean, we were, we were broke, 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 broke. Anybody relate to that? Anybody there? And uh, I, had, I had to wear suits all the time. That's what we did. That's kind of how we rolled at that particular time. And I had one suit and it had holes in the, you know, literally holes in the elbows and stuff and kind of frayed and all of this. And I'd saved up my money and I was going to buy a suit for Easter. And I went out and I shopped and I bought a suit. And in the middle of the night, the voice of the Lord came to me, woke up and said, I want you to give that suit away. And I went, I'm going back to sleep. This is not God. No, but I couldn't go back to sleep. And then he told me who to give it away to. And then I said, that guy's not even my size, not a problem. And God said, L- let me take care of that. And so the next day I told Debbie, she thought I was crazy. We went over to the guy's house. I said, why don't you try this on? He thought I was crazy. He came out and he wore this, had the suit on. And it was a perfect fit. And in that, I will never forget that moment. That was like, God, you have used me to be a miracle in this guy's life. And I wore my ready old suit for Easter. I'd love to tell you somebody gave me a new suit and all that, but it didn't happen that time. I had to save up for another one. But it didn't matter because God used me to do the miraculous in somebody else's life. Or or maybe, maybe God says you're supposed to stop and pray for someone. And, uh, and maybe it's a, a, somebody in your family or maybe it's somebody that you know and In your small group, maybe somebody says, you know, I've got this issue. And you say, would you mind if you just get faith to pray for healing? Could I I just pray for you? You know what those things are called? Those little miracles. You can explain them away, but why would you want to? Those are invitations to participate in a miracle. And the Bible refers to those types of miracles as spiritual gifts. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. And when you're open to God using you to help others in the church as he leads, you participate in the miraculous part of Christmas. And I would love for you as a church, all of us just to go, God, use me. Use me in the miraculous because you cannot, you can't tell the Christmas story. Without a miracle. Let me give you one more idea, one more thought. When imperfect people embrace the miraculous, the world around them changes. When imperfect people embrace the miraculous, the world around them changes. That's what I love about this church. That's what I love about the church as a whole. When the church is working right, it's a bunch of imperfect people embracing the miraculous, using the gifts that God has given them to help and encourage each other so that they can go out together. And make an impact in the world around them. Uh, We have friends that uh, pastor a church in New York City. Uh, It's a new church called Hillsong Church in New York City. And uh, the other day, uh, one one of our pastors uh, told me about a new series that they're promoting this Christmas for, I think it's first of the year. And I thought, man, I wish we'd have gotten that idea. It's an incredible idea. Here, here it is. Here it is. It's, it's, it's a video of the pastor and he's walking through the Occupy Wall Street in New York. You guys have heard about that a little bit and saw it on TV and you know people are upset and you've got people camping out and they've got signs and stuff. And So he's walking through the crowd and he takes one of the Occupy Wall Street signs and he scratches out the W in wall and puts an S on the end of the street and holds it up And it says, Occupy All Streets. And that's going to be the name of their new series for the new year because it describes what we're to do as believers. We are to occupy all streets. We are to be a, a, a... a picture of and a demonstration of God's love and God's grace to people everywhere. When imperfect people embrace the miraculous, the world around them changes. And the, the song alludes to that in the third verse. It says, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains he shall break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppressions shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts we praise his holy name. See, that's what the gospel does it breaks chains. The gospel sets people free. Jesus' first sermon in Isaiah says this, or actually it's quoted from Isaiah. It's in Luke chapter 4. Jesus said this. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has appointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see and that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Set the captives free. Allow the the deaf to hear and the blind to hear to see. I've seen that a lot around here lately. It's a group of women who build each other up by embracing the miraculous. They use their spiritual gifts to encourage one another and to, and to make each other whole. And then they look around for women like them who may be spiritually blind or feel trapped by their circumstances. And, and then they invite them to, to parties and and, you know, it not just parties with kind of their own own little group, but they're looking around to, to, to see people who maybe God wants to bring in. I heard about one group of ladies who have little crumb crunchers, you know. And, and they, they get them together uh, to have play dates. And they used to just have play dates with just, you know, ladies in the church and people who believe like them. And then they decided, you know, maybe we ought to go outside of that allow God to use us to change the world. Now they have play dates with a purpose. Where they are looking for people who, you know, maybe are spiritually blind or feel trapped by their circumstances, or sometimes they have game nights in their home homes hoping that their lives will be changed and chains will be broken. It's a group of guys who build each other up by embracing the miraculous. And then they look around for men like themselves who may be downtrodden by the economy. Do you know anybody like that? And they invite them to coffee or golf or Poker nights. I don't know if you should have poker nights, but they do it. And God uses it. Or just to hang out. Hoping that their lives will be changed and chains will be broken. It's a group of men and women that I heard about this week. What in this church is going to happen in this church. It's in another church. Who build each other up by embracing the miraculous, you know? They use their spiritual gifts to build each other up and then they go out. Because their hearts are broken by women who are, tra- who are trapped in sexual slavery. And so they go to strip clubs. The guys don't go to the clubs. The guys stay outside of the clubs. And the women go into the clubs and they, and, and they just love on the girls that are in there. And listen what's happened. The guys are out there for security. Listen to what happens. They've, they've drawn 50 women out of those clubs and into the care of the church. Because people have embraced the miraculous. And rather than shaking a finger at those who are trapped, they go in and they love them. It's a small group of people who build each other up by embracing the miraculous and then they go out and across the bridge or to another school district or to adopt a block or to mentor a child hoping that lives will be changed and chains will be broken. It's a small group of people who recognize their brokenness, who embrace the miraculous, who, who uh, look around for others like themselves who are trapped in addiction of alcohol and drugs and they invite them to CR. Or small groups that care for their souls hoping that lives will change and chains will be broken. I could go on and on and on. I love this stuff. I see it a lot, but I want to see it more. When a church like Seacoast, a group of people, truly embodies the spirit of Christmas, that God chooses unlikely people who embrace the miraculous which changes the world around them. When that happens... There is truly joy to the world. Would you agree with that? And that's next week's sermon, so I'll quit. Will you join me in this quest? Will you be one of the imperfect people who say yes to God in spite of your doubts? Will you be... One of the people who embrace the miraculous this Christmas, where you're going to be listening and watching how God might use you through spiritual gifts to build up others within the church? And will you be one of those who look for opportunities to allow the gospel to break chains in those around you? If you do, wow. Wow, wow, wow. What an incredible Christmas this could be. Let's bow. For closing prayer. Father, I thank you. I am so inspired by the gospel. I am so inspired by the good news that brings great joy of Jesus Christ. And God, I, I just, uh, this weekend, pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here in this place, in the campuses, and wherever anybody's listening. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we would just uh, open our ears to hear you and to embrace what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.